We're going to continue our study of the book of Jonah. So turn with me, if you have brought your Bible with you, to Jonah chapter 1. Jonah chapter 1. Did Kevin also print it in the bulletin? Nope. So if you have your Bible with you, turn it to Jonah chapter 1. We're going to continue our study. And we're going to go back and start reading in verse 4 and then read to the end of the chapter. It says, But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest upon the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came to him and said, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we might not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? And where do you come from? And what is your country? And of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. And he said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea, and then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as, you ple- as, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. We tend to divide the world. You know, we tend to divide the world between us and them. Those people and my people. Those people who are like me and those people who are unlike me, those people who I should care about, and those people about whom I do not need to care. And we can see that Jonah has divided the world as such. You know, we remember that this book opened up with the word of the Lord coming to the prophet Jonah, who was a Hebrew, calling him to go to Nineveh, the capital of Assyria, to hated enemies of the Hebrews, and moreover to a place that was well known to be filled with violence, and evil, and depravity. And the Lord called Jonah to warn the people of Nineveh of a coming judgment upon evil. And so Jonah hears the call of the Lord, and he does go in the opposite direction. He charters a boat. Well, he gets on a boat towards Tarshish, which was the other side of the known world. And according to verse 3, it says he was trying to get away from the presence of the Lord. As if he could. As if any of us could. And why? You know, why would Jonah, an established 
prophet of the Lord openly and willingly defy the word of the Lord and seek to flee from the very presence of the Lord. Well, at the end of this book, spoiler alert, we find Jonah's mission to Nineveh will be successful. And the Assyrians, when they hear the warning, they will repent of their ways. They'll turn to the Lord, and the Lord will mercifully relent from bringing judgment on their evil. And we will find that Jonah is not very happy about it. In fact, in Jonah chapter 4, he actually explains, this is why I wasn't going to go, God. We find him praying in bitterness to God in Jonah chapter 4, verse 2. Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew, I knew you're a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. I just knew you'd do something like this, God. Because Jonah has divided the world into us and them, into my people and those people. And those people do not deserve any type of favor or mercy from the Lord. And so Jonah's mad. We hear him yelling at the Lord going, I just knew you'd do something like this. You're supposed to extend mercy to people like me, but here you've gone and extended mercy to those type of people. But Lord, those type of people should just get what they deserve. They should just get what's coming to them. Those type of people, they'll simply never listen. They're not going to learn. They're too far gone. Those type of people, they're so unlike me and my people. There's us and then there's them. And throughout the whole book, we see Jonah treat those from outside Israel as those type of people. He's dismissive, he's condescending, and he's utterly lacking in any compassion at all. Lord, just give them all what they deserve. And this is so obvious from all of Jonah's interactions with all the persons that he encounters from outside of Israel. In today's section, Jonah, by his own personal disobedience, has callously not only put his own life in danger, but the life of all these sailors in danger, and he doesn't care. He doesn't care. Jonah the prophet sleeps while all of the pagan sailors are busy working for the common good. All the pagans are praying to their gods. They're trying to lighten the ship's load to keep it afloat. They're working together towards this goal. And even if in the end all of their efforts are foolish or in vain, their actions clearly communicate, hey, we're in this together. But Jonah, he's asleep. He doesn't care. And it's obvious to everyone around him. I mean, when the captain confronts Jonah below deck, his words in verse 6 are meant as a stinging rebuke. What do you mean, you sleeper? Wake up! Arise, call to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we might not perish. What's wrong with you? I mean, everyone else is trying to save the ship. Everyone else is working for the common good. And here you are sleeping. Don't you care? Don't you care about us? And whether or not that message was intentional, Jonah's actions clearly communicated to those around him, I don't care about you. I don't care. The pagan sailors seem more committed to the common good than does the Lord's prophet. And church, how about us? How about us? You know, in the late 70s, early 80s, there was a Christian musician by the name of Keith Green. He was an immensely talented musician who died tragically in a plane crash at only 28 years old. 
but the impact of his short life was disproportionate because of the large impact it had on Christian music. Because, you see, his music was kind of like a gut punch to Christianity. He was a prophet who spoke the truth that people didn't want to hear then and we still don't want to hear now. And one of his most poignant songs was titled, Asleep in the Light. And Keith Green sings, Do you see? Do you see all the people sinking down? Don't you care? Don't you care? Or are you going to let them drown? How can you be so numb not to care if they come? You close your eyes and pretend the job's done. Open up. Open up and give yourself away. You've seen the need. Hear the cry. How can you delay? God's calling you. You're the one. But like Jonah, you run. He's told you to speak, but you keep holding it in. Can't you see it's such sin? The world is sleeping in the dark that the church can't fight because the church is asleep in the light. The church can't fight the darkness because it's asleep in the light. And church, is that true of us today? Are we asleep in the light of Christ while the rest of the world is rocked by a storm of fear? Joan is asleep and the captain runs to him and he goes, Don't you see? Don't you see all the people sinking down? Don't you care? Don't you care? Are you going to let us drown? And church, the same question might be asked to us today. Do we care? Do you care? How does the world know that we care? Because it's clear to these sailors that Jonah doesn't care. And consider in verses 7 and 8, there's no indication, no indication in verses 7 and 8 that Jonah ever responded to the rebuke of the captain. There's no indication Jonah actually prayed. Jonah's silent. And friends, his silence speaks volumes. And so does ours. He slept. He remained silent while the storm continues to rage. Jonah's dismissive. He's condescending and utterly lacking in any compassion towards these pagans. We do not hear from Jonah until he's actually forced to speak. I mean, they cast lots on whose account the storm has come. It falls to Jonah. So basically he's forced into a corner. And immediately the sailors confront Jonah in verse 8. Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What's your occupation? Where are you from? What's your country? What people are you from? You know, Pastor Tim Keller points out these are all identity questions. You know, what's your purpose, your occupation, your life mission? What's your place? Where do you come from? Who are your people? Who's your community? These are all identity questions. Because every one of us gains our identity from these things. You know, every one of us says to ourselves, I'm significant because I'm from this place or because of this purpose or work or occupation. Or, or I'm acceptable and significant because I'm welcomed by them, by this people. The questions about purpose, place, and people are identity questions. Now, the sailors aren't here, you know, asking Jonah this chance so that he can, you know, self-reveal himself and express himself. But in ancient times, every racial group, every place, and every profession had its own God. And so the sailors are trying to determine exactly who this Jonah is and which God he's offended so that they can figure out who they should pray to and to get saved. And consider Jonah's response in verse 9. He says, he says, I'm a Hebrew. I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. And we just want to note something in his response. The very last question he was asked was, of what people are you? That was the very final question he was asked, but do you notice that's the first part 
of his response, I am a Hebrew. Now, in such a short book with so little recorded dialogue, I believe the author was careful in his report. So I don't think we're supposed to overlook that detail. When asked for his identity, his first response was not, I worship God. His first response was, I'm a Hebrew. In the forefront of his identity, his self-understanding was his ethnicity. More important than his mission, than his, than his faith in God, than his purpose as a prophet, was his identity as a Hebrew. In fact, it seems that his purpose and his identity right now are in conflict. He's a prophet of God, called by God, but yet his identities come into conflict. And I'm a Hebrew is what's going to win. Because the Lord's commanded the prophet to go. However, it's been exposed that it's more, more important than his faith is that he's a Hebrew. And there's us. And then there's them. More important is his identity and his people. I'm part of those people as opposed to those people. And so Jonah's become exclusionary. He's divided the world racially, ethnically, us and them, good and bad, deserving and undeserving. His identity as part of a people is more important than his identity as a prophet or as a follower of the Lord. This is how Jonah justifies excluding, ignoring, diminishing, and dismissing the others. And church, how are we in danger of doing the same? Because any time you and I put an adjective in front of the word Christian, we're in danger of valuing some part of our identity more than our identity in Christ. I'm a black Christian, a white Christian, a conservative Christian, a progressive Christian. Anytime we put an adjective in front of Christian, we're putting in danger something being more important to our identity than our identity in Jesus Christ. Jonah put an adjective before worshiper of the Lord. I'm a Hebrew. That was more important. I'm a Hebrew first. His identity as Hebrew was more important than his identity as a follower and a worshiper of the Lord. And friends, we should be aware that right now there are powers in this world forcefully encouraging us to elevate such characteristics and to divide this world into us and them, good and bad, that this color, this race, this ethnicity is all an inherently good, and that one is all an inherently bad. There are cultural forces right now insisting that this world has a skin problem. But church, the Bible says we don't have a skin problem. We have a sin problem. And that our human problem goes much deeper than any melanin in our skin. Alexander Solzhenitsyn, reflecting upon his experiences as a prisoner in the forced labor camps of Stalin's Soviet Union, wrote, The line separating good and evil passes not through states, not between classes, not between political parties either but right through every human heart. The line separating good and evil passes not between skin colors, ethnicities, tribes, tongues, or nations. Our problem is not the melanin in our skin. The problem is our hearts full of sin. And as Martin Luther King Jr. prophetically declared, I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. Our problem is more than skin deep. Jonah found his identity in the wrong place. He was a Hebrew first. He divided the world by ethnicity, by tribe, tongue, and nation. Us and them, good and bad, deserving and undeserving. And they dismissed, diminished, and ignored the other. But church, we cannot fall into this trap. We cannot do the same. For the gospel, the good news, 
is that for those of us who have trusted, is the good news that for those of us who have trusted Jesus Christ, first of all, Jesus has come to deal not with a skin problem, but with our sin problem. Because persons of every tribe, tongue, and nation all stand equally guilty, sinful, and in need of forgiveness. The Apostle Paul, quoting from Romans chapter, quoting from Psalm 14, wrote in Romans chapter 3, What then? Are we Jews any better off than them? No, not at all. For we've already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, us and them, are under sin. As it's written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they become worthless. No one does good, not even one. None will be declared guilty or innocent based upon skin, people, tribe, tongue, or nation, but all stand equally sinful before God. Our problem is deeper than the surface, and Jesus has come not to change our skin, but our sinful hearts. Our sinful hearts that divide, that dismiss, that ignore the plight of the other. He's come to forgive our apathy towards the suffering of, the other, to, of another, and to humble our self-righteousness, and to ignite in us compassion for all. And more importantly, church, Jesus has come to give us a new identity found in him. Our identity, first and foremost, is not to be found primarily in a people, a tribe, a tongue, or a nation, but in Christ alone. Paul wrote to the Galatians in Galatians chapter 3, verse 28, There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And again, he wrote in the letter to the Ephesians chapter 2, verses 14 and 15, For Christ himself is our peace, who has made us, Jew and Gentile, both one, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. And so he goes on in verse 15, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, making peace. See, Jesus has come to give us a new identity in him, and that identity is above every other thing that might give us identity, every other thing that might give us purpose. That stands first. In the list, we cannot put another adjective or descriptor above belonging to the Lord, above being in Christ. First and foremost, we are in Christ. He is the answer to our divisions and our suspicions, to our hatred and our apathy. We are not Hebrew first, not black or white first, not conservative or progressive first, but followers of Christ first. This is the gospel. But Jonah just didn't get it. Being a Hebrew was more important than fearing and following the Lord. And so we watch him through this entire narrative, dividing the world, us and them, and then dismissing, condescending, and lacking any compassion toward them. In fact, it's not even certain if Jonah's final act of self-sacrifice was motivated more by compassion or by resignation. When the sailors, when Jonah tells the sailors, go ahead, throw me in the sea so the storm will stop, he might have been motivated by compassion, but based upon the rest of the book, he just might simply have been saying, hey, listen, I'd rather die than go to Nineveh. You might as well talk me in. Friends, do you see the irony? The irony throughout this whole narrative? I mean, even with Jonah's permission to cast him in the sea, the pagan sailors act more compassionately than the Lord's prophet does. They don't immediately take up Jonah on the offer but rather they try to row to shore rather than risk the life of this man who has caused them such ridiculous trouble. But the sailors finally do hurl Jonah into the sea and miraculously and immediately 
As if flipping a switch, what do we find? The storm stops. And Jonah, although unwilling, is used by the Lord to lead these sailors to faith. The last scene we find are these sailors worshiping the Lord and making vows to the Lord. Jonah didn't want to reach them. He didn't want to reach those people. He didn't want to see them repent and find mercy. But despite his efforts to the contrary, these pagan sailors come to faith and experience the mercy of the Lord. Friends, Jonah as a prophet and as a sacrifice is a miserable example. He's a miserable example for us today. But hear the gospel, the good news. Someone greater than Jonah has come. Someone greater than Jonah has come. Because when Jesus taught, one time he was challenged by the scribes and the Pharisees, and they wanted to see a sign to prove his authority, to prove who he was. And he responded to them in Matthew chapter 12. In Matthew chapter 12, starting in verse 39, Jesus said, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment on, with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Friends, Jonah as a preacher and as a sacrifice was imperfect and unwilling. And yet by his ministry, do you notice that many were saved from the storm? By the imperfect and reluctant ministry of this man, the sailors were saved from the storm that surrounded the boat and came to faith in the Lord. The city of Nineveh eventually will be saved from the impending storm of judgment and come to faith in the Lord. And Jesus declares, hey guys, something greater than Jonah is here. Something greater. You had, they repented at the preaching of an absolutely imperfect and reluctant prophet. A greater prophet is here. And the preaching of Jesus is perfect. His words are true. His example is beautiful. His compassion is unfailing. And if people repented and turned to the Lord at the ministry of imperfect Jonah, how much more should they turn and repent at my ministry, says Jesus? The sacrifice of Jonah. He was unwilling. And Jonah ultimately sacrificed himself. Why? Because the storm was actually his own fault. And these sailors were simply caught in it because of him. But the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, friends, his sacrifice was willing. And more than that, the storm from which Jesus came to save us was not a storm of his own making. It wasn't his fault. It wasn't his storm at all. It was yours. And it was mine. Jesus willingly bore our sin and endured our storm as we sang, This the power of the cross. Christ became sin for us, took the blame, bore the wrath. We stand forgiven at the cross. Church, it was our sin, our blame, the just storm of judgment that he took. Jesus' sacrifice was willing. Jesus' sacrifice was for our sin, not for his own. And if many were saved by the imperfect sacrifice of Jonah, how many more might be saved by the perfect sacrifice of Jesus Christ? Something greater than Jonah has come. And friends, how have you responded? 
How have you responded to such compassion? Have you believed such teaching? Have you received the forgiveness of such a sacrifice? For again, the warning still stands. One day soon, a storm of judgment will come. One day soon, there will be a final and a terrible storm of judgment on all sin. But from that storm, you might be saved by the sacrifice of Jesus, who endured that storm on the cross. He was hurled into the depths of death for our sake, and yet he rose victorious over death three days later. And church, have you trusted in him? That same Jesus also offers us here and now a new life, a new identity found in him, an identity that transcends color and people and tribe and tongue and ethnicity, an identity that recognizes that what divides us is not our skin, but our sin, an identity that allows us to love and embrace the other fully, an identity that unites different and diverse persons, an identity that is found in Jesus Christ and in him alone. And that can't be drowned out no matter how loud the obnoxious motorcycle might be. Friends, something greater than Jonah and greater than all of our divisions is here. So in what or in whom will your salvation be found? And church, in what or in whom will your identity be found? And church, will the world know that we care, will the world know through us the compassion of Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father, thank you. Thank you, Lord, not for the example of Jonah. His was a miserable example. But thank you for the gospel that one greater than Jonah has come, one whose ministry and whose message were perfect whose compassion was unfailing and continues to be unfailing, one whose sacrifice was willing and complete and not for himself but for us. And, Father, I pray that the church might, might be your representatives showing your compassion, that we might do better job than did Jonah, and that we might see that Christ is our identity, that Christ is our unity, that Christ is our hope and the hope for this world. So, Lord, glorify yourself in and through us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.